Well, 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 well. Guys, we're back. Um, God dang, man. False start. False starting at the one. Right. Jeez, uh, Louise. Uh, if that was the only problem, I think we'd be all right. Uh, but anywho's, we'll get into it. Welcome to the Blue Naughty Podcast. Uh, you've got Seth, Colin, Vito, and Nathan via Skype just because of how this week worked out. But we still have a sponsor. Shout out to Matrix Hormones. Colin? Matrix Hormones. Uh, it's the one-stop shop for everything you need if you're just feeling a little sluggish, if you don't feel like yourself. If you're a guy who's getting older, uh, there's no better time to swing by and get your get your blood tested. See, um, see where your levels are. See if... Uh, your body's naturally producing the testosterone and other hormones that it needs. If not, they've got great solutions to help you get there. 813-333-2226. Again, 813-333-2226. Three field goals, three safeties, one touchdown, no PAT. Um, but again, Dr. Eddie Leonard and his staff, they do an amazing job. They will get you back on track. Um, and feeling like yourself again, uh, matrixhormones.com for more information, M-A-T-R-I-X-H-O-R-O-M-O-N-E-S.com and, uh, 813-333-2226 matrix hormones. Feel like yourself again, unlike the USF offense. Well, Colin, uh, maybe, maybe we'll start feeling like ourselves this week. Who knows? Uh, lots of decisions, lots of shuffling on the offense, but. We've got to look back to that Georgia Tech game, which I know, I know it's painful. Uh, but for me personally, I think there was some good to take out of it. Uh, the defense kind of played out of their minds. Uh, they kept USF in the game. Uh, it, they caused two turnovers to keep uh, points of the game to kind of give USF a shot. I think we really need to make sure that we let everyone know that the defense might be pretty dang good this year. It's will the offense catch up, which is a bit of a departure over the last couple of years, especially that 2016 season. Um, but again, what thir- 13 tackles for loss, three, uh, two sacks, an interception, a forced fumble and fumble recovery. I mean, that forced fumble was textbook by Nick Roberts. Um, I know I've, I've, Given Nick a fair, um, my fair share of uh, vitriol, I guess. What about, about his uh, celebrating after a tackle after twelve yards? But that, that, that and that, yeah, that that forced fumble was the textbook forced fumble. You, you just pop the ball right out. And, uh, I believe it was Darius Slade that hopped on it. So good for him. Um, Greg Reeves, another great game. Eight tackles, four solo, half. Uh, tackle for loss um but i mean the the transfers are playing well which is a good thing especially defensively um unfortunately the 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 transfer on the offensive side um continues to have some hiccups blake barnett just up and down again i think uh someone in select said that i think blake might be seeing ghosts and uh oh buddy that seems about right um, but I mean, what can you do when the offensive line's uh, struggling as as much as it as it has? Um, there's really not much you can do except insert someone who can keep the play alive, and you saw that in the fourth quarter 
with Jordan McLeod coming in and going four or five for 90 yards and a touchdown. Uh, almost led two scoring drives. Uh, you know, we'll, that route for the touchdown to Johnny Ford that Seth broke down in his story this week was phenomenal. Like that was textbook man beater stuff that was missed against Wisconsin. Hopefully, we'll see more of that. Um, Seth, what did you see on uh, on those that? What changed between you know midway through the third quarter with Blake and then when Jordan came in? Did you was there something on film that you that kind of popped out at you? I, mean, I didn't think there was like a a whole lot that was different. Um, I thought the offensive line did better in pass protection. Maybe they were throwing the ball a little bit more. Um, I know the first time uh, Jordan got in, it was on a short field right after the interception, so he got the ball in twenty five. Um, First play he was in, he probably showed you a little bit of those growing pains that might go through, or I'm pretty sure he tucked it and kept it instead of throwing it away. But then uh, they got the yards back on second down. They got into third and five, and that's when um, I thought what was impressive about uh, McLeod was him, uh, particularly on that play. He knew kind of based on the route concept that he was going to get what he wanted uh, with forward matched up and that uh, with that kind of out return route. Um, with the the nickel is going to fly out to the out route. He knew he was going to have four coming open. So he sat in the pocket um, with a lot of kind of traffic at his feet. The line did a good job protecting. They, uh, Georgia Tech tried to bring a blitz, tried to bring four to a side and drop an end in coverage. I think that might have been the one of Wilcox. But either way, they brought pressure. The line did a good job picking it up. The back did a good job picking it up. And... Um, even though there's a lot of trash down at McLeod's feet, he kind of sat in there and made the throw. And that's something that is hard to teach. And I think, you know, I don't know. It seems like Blake is having a little bit more problems with that kind of part of it. But there's also times he sat in there and made throws too. So I don't, I don't know what really changed, but, um, you know, he, Jordan McLeod came in and made some plays. So, um, you know, you got to tip your hat to him. He played pretty well. Yeah, uh, Colin, you were you were at the game. Did you sense a uh, I don't know a jolt at least within the fan base uh, at the game at least that okay, well Jordan's in, maybe we've got a, sh- a shot now. As soon as he started warming up, you could feel it on the sideline. I'm sitting like five rows behind the USF bench, and that's not a, a view that I've had any time recently. Mostly being in press boxes, and like last year, just sitting. I, di- I didn't really sit behind the bench at all. Um, I thought they came out pretty flat. Quite honestly, I didn't see a lot of emotion. I even tweeted something about that during the game um, with the very spotty Wi-Fi uh, that they had at Bobby Dodd. But I, I just didn't see any spark or anything from that team. And then two things happened. One, it wasn't just Jordan getting warmed up, but then they also got an INT on that the possession before he came in. So they got the pick. Players ran over to the USF corner, tried to get everybody hyped up, which was pretty cool. And then you know you could see a little bounce in their step. Uh, there was a little swag surfing going on afterwards. It felt like the team started to believe again. Um, I, you know, as Seth said, that if he thought, and I haven't gone back and watched the game yet, um, but if he thought the line blocked better for Jordan, that's really unfortunate for Blake. Um, that he was the victim. Yeah, of I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know if it was a vic- I don't know if it was like being a victim of circumstance or you know I don't I don't think the effort was any different. They just. They did a great. They, there was a blitz, and they did a great job picking it up. So I, I you know, I don't know if it's like uh, they blocked better for him, or if it just they blocked better. Period. So 
yeah, I'm just super, you know, I, I thought it was very engaging. Um, they, they seemed a little more fired up, which was good. The, the downside, um, that I saw was, um, Mitch coming off the field after the, after the fumble on the goal line, he looked like he wanted to take his helmet and crash it over his head. He was so frustrated with himself for not getting in on the original play to get down to the one. I really felt bad for him. Um, you know, Atterbury, we've talked about it before, but man, of all the mistakes he's made this year, I think that five yard penalty, um, on, on first and was first and goal or second and goal. I think it was first and goal. Yeah, it was first and goal. That is just, that was just a killer. And you could feel it. It was like, oh, God, you know. And then I, I thought they got in. Um, I think if the roles are reversed and we're the Power 5 team at home with our conference's officials, um, I think we probably get that call. It was that close. Um, but when you're the Group of 5 team on the road and it's um, – for some reason, you're in this contract, the, the teams didn't agree to bring their own conference's officials and travel them. Um, for whatever reason, you're normally on a road game, you bring your own officials from your own league. That didn't happen. We didn't get that call. And I, you know, but control what you can control. You can't control the refs making a, a slim call, a, a close call, but probably the wrong call go against you, but you can control the penalty. And that, you know, it's just a killer. So uh, it was rough. And I thought the process was better in the, in the second half. Um, I really liked what I saw out of McLeod. You could see there's a little bit of faith and belief, not just on the sidelines, but also in the stands. I think people are a little bit more bought in. Um, uh, we can get into who we think, you know, will play next week. But I, I think Jordan gave a little life to this program. And uh, definitely, I think he's a better fit for a bad offensive line. Because as we as we talked about on two podcasts last week, and then it really kind of played out, is what if this team just doesn't move the ball? It's not that they're, like, turning it over and getting sacked or throwing picks. Um, but if they just aren't efficient at all in the first half, do you make the move? And it took till the middle of the third quarter, but they did make that move because the offense just wasn't getting it done. And then Jordan comes in and gives them all a spark. So uh, I, let's see what this kid can do. Throw him out there. Let's play. I agree. Uh, I think the, the the telling play wasn't um, it wasn't the pass to Mitch or the touchdown. The, the telling play to me um, that kind of points me to believe that okay i think jordan's probably the guy going to going into the future uh, especially against south carolina state is i think it was the very last offensive play of the game for usf it's third and i think it's third and six um third and i think seven. third and seven and yeah. uh the pocket completely collapses Adderary gets beat pretty much the entire offensive line gets beat and jordan rolls to his right puts his foot in the ground makes guys miss and ends up gaining two yards instead of losing seven. Um, and I think with this offense, I said it on Twitter this week with this offensive line, that's the kind of guy you need. Um, Blake is, uh, I mean, not to be stereotypical, but he's uh, deceptively quick. He's not quick, quick. <laughs> he's gritty. As well. <laughs> he's also gritty. He, he's a guy. Quite the quarterback, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, very quite, quite, quite the quarterback, um, and it's that kind of athleticism that works. It's especially worked at USF throughout the history of the program, um, where you need an athletic guy who can make the throws and run around a little bit. Um, I think that's just kind of the way things are going, unless you've got this 
otherworldly quarterback who can just sit in the pocket and throw dimes, you need something. You need something to separate yourself from the pack. And I think Jordan McLeod may give USF that something. Um, we'll definitely see this week if, if if Charlie Strong does pull the trigger and makes that switch. But there's there's something to be said about how uh, the team responded and just the, the overall vibe kind of uh, shifted. Um, but I think that's kind of where we need to leave Georgia Tech uh, there. Except, Colin, USF scores to make it 14-9 with 14.53 <laughs> left. Somebody put two minutes the on the clock. <laughs> okay. Somebody All put right, two minutes so on the clock. Colin, Backstory: Colin and I, Colin and I had this uh, pretty big uh, conversation today in the Slack about okay, fourteen fifty three left in the fourth quarter. Do you go for two to make it a field goal game, or just kick the field goal as USF did? All right, two minutes on kick the, the clock. PAT, kick the PAT to go. Yeah, yes, um, two minutes. On, and let me also say that, like in the Slack, I'm like yelling in all caps because I thought it was funny and nobody else thought it was funny and everybody thought I was serious and called me an asshole. So, um, yeah, I was just kidding. Like, so when I take my voice up and yell about this, realize that it's not a serious argument. Like we're just sort of like having football fun here. Um, but yeah, this was a horrible call and I can prove it. Two minutes. Go. All right. So here's, here's my rationale. And then I'll let you close it out, all right? Okay. So my rationale, like, I've played oodles and oodles of Madden, NCAA. Just the, the, I understand the game theory behind every, like, those moves. I understand where you're coming from. But you've got to, in the vacuum, you're probably right. You go for two here. But in the context of the game, in the flow of the game, you just have just scores. They've forced uh, a turnover, and they're, they've got the juices flowing. You just you take the extra point. Because if you miss and you're down five and you score again, which USF was very likely about to do, except for the fumble, you're up two instead of up three. Now, if, if Georgia Tech somehow puts a drive together and gets down the field and kicks the field goal to win it, you, you lose by one. But if you kick the extra point, score a touchdown, and Georgia Tech scores on their next possession, uh, and it's a field goal, it's a tie game and you can still have time to score. Um, that's where I, that's where I'm coming from. I think it was too early in the game to be chasing those points. Um, but again, if it's like with six minutes left or maybe even like under eight minutes, I think my mindset changes a little bit, uh, on what we should do. All right. All right. I want, Uh, I want as much time. I want as much time. Okay. One wrong because the decision tree that you're playing out has Georgia tech forced to kick a field goal. Any other scenario, they, kick, they make zero points, they make seven points, uh, they score multiple times. On all other scenarios except Georgia Tech kicking a field goal, you should absolutely 100% go for two. And the reason is is because if you're down five, you still need a touchdown anyway. And if you're down three, if you make it to down three, then you can kick a field goal to tie. It's not like, yes, Jordan moved the ball on a previous drive. It seemed like the offense, but that was just one drive. You cannot factor that in. You have to go by the math here. The math is that both teams will probably have between two and three possessions remaining. Georgia Tech should have three, which gives them even more less opportunity to score just three because three is the flat number. This is a game tree decision. 
Um, and on that game tree, there are just more scenarios where USF should go for two than should go for than go for one. And I can prove it because I I sent a Twitter to Bill Connolly, math expert guy on this blog who we respect as much as anybody. He said this is absolutely a go for two scenario. It's the fourth quarter. If it was early in the third, I can see, well, we haven't played enough scores. There are going to be multiple possessions, multiple scores left in the game. If this was a Big 12 game even, I would still probably go for two, considering the time and score, considering the time left. But that is more of an open-ended question in a game where you're going to have – where both teams could have four or five more possessions and everybody's scoring on every drive. In a limited possessions game with low scoring, you absolutely have to go for two here. Three, only th- two, one. Did I get as much time? Boop, boop, boop. Yeah, I reset it and gave you a minute 30. Okay. Um, yeah, easy. This is an easy call, easy decision. You got to go for two there. It doesn't surprise me that Charlie went for one. You know, we, we also punt on fourth and one a ton for midfield. We make a lot of bad decisions, but the right decision was go. If, if uh, I may jump in here real quick, I won't take very long. Okay. The chart, like, you know, the chart, the chart in quotes says down five, go for two. But I do, I think Nathan did bring up a good point that psychologically, um, there may have been something to that. You finally score for the first time this season. You've got some momentum going. If you go out and miss a two point conversion, does that flatten you a little bit? So that, I now, is that the best way to make decisions? Probably not, but that could be the rationale. And you're also relying on getting inside of 40 yards because we know Kobe Weiss has not hit a 40 yard of field goal longer than 40 yards in his college career. Um, I think that's asking a lot uh, of Kobe when, okay, here's, we went for two and we made it. All right. Now you got to go do your, do your job. But for a guy that hasn't hit a 40 yard field goal, you've got to, there's a lot of variables I think in a vacuum, Colin, you're probably right. But <gasps> given the game, the game, totally the wrong. game, the game flow, I think has to take in, has to be taken into account, especially with how the offense. Um, you say it's one possession, but man, that was a huge possession for USF to kind of light a spark. Math um, doesn't care about momentum. That's momentum's I, I, a made up thing. I'll, momentum I'll, is I'll give you that. Yeah, moment, and, and so if you're saying, well, you know, psychologically, that's momentum. I mean, it's the same argument. I, I, but I think psych, like there's a like psychology can be like proven. Like there's there's aspects to it where you can kind of tell, um, like the results can kind of bore out itself. Uh, but I mean, it's an oblong ball. Weird things happen. We could argue this until the cows come home. Absolutely. Um, but to right, me, this on, is a snap to. <clears throat> Fair. Maybe I'm a little bit more conservative uh, than you would be. Um, but again, under eight minutes, I'm going for two every time. Absolutely. Uh, but I think that seven minute extras that you have, you, you kind of let it play out. Um, all right. Next part. Uh, offensive coordinator Kerwin Bell announced today that. Uh, much maligned left tackle Billy Atterbury will be going back to right guard, and sophomore Donovan Jennings will be switching from right guard to back to left tackle, where he started a few games last season. Um, additionally, Jared Hopewell, I believe he is the Virginia transfer. If I have that right, or Virginia Tech, one of the Virginias, I'm pretty sure, um, is seriously competing with Marcus Norman at right tackle. Um, 
that's kind of big news, especially with Marcus Norman having some NFL buzz to see how far he's fallen. Like it hasn't just been Billy Atterbury. Marcus Norman's had the same kind of troubles against the wide nine techniques that Atterbury has. Um, it's just Atterbury seemed to be a little bit more glaring. Um, but this could be the change that USF needed. Can I let me let me jump in here and then I'll let you guys take it over. I have not gone back and watched the game yet. Um, I will do so at some point. Um, but here's one play that really stuck out at me. Besides Atterbury taking the the horrible penalty, um, last throw before halftime and it happened like right in front of me. Um, Atterbury, they they uh, it's a hail mary from Blake who is forced to roll out hard to his right. Because Georgia Tech, who rushed three and dropped eight with their heels on the goal line with like four seconds left um, from midfield, Atterbury just got whipped. And Blake had to immediately run out of the pocket when they're rushing three and dropping eight. And everyone on earth knows it's a Hail Mary. Like, that's bad. (laughs) You know, that was like, oh, my God, what is he doing out there bad? So I'll let you all take it from here because you all saw it. Line plays the hardest thing to see from the sideline, but. My God, how does that happen? Uh, Seth, you wanna you wanna take you wanna take that one? I mean, I think it's I think with him it might be a comfort thing because even today, uh, in his uh, kind of media availability, Kerwin said that he has pretty good feet, Atterbury. So, you know, I think it may, the thought may have been, and I know we talked about it over the summer that okay, we move these guys out from tackle inside because they're bigger, so we want those bigger guys to play guard. And maybe there's bigger, stronger guys. And then you look at Atterbury, maybe he's got really good feet is what Kerwin was saying. He's, um, but um, so maybe, okay, he can make that transition outside. For whatever reason, uh, I think some good opponent, some of it just lacking comfort at it. It hasn't really worked out as well as they hope. Um, him going back inside, though, I mean, he's more comfortable there. Should be interesting. I think a lot of it is kind of habits from last year, just kind of watching – um, that they're trying, they're still trying to bait, break uh, technique wise. Um, you see, I saw you know just the right tackle a few times. Just maybe he's lunging a little too much instead of you know in his past that he's lunging at the guy and the guy's just able to knock his hands away because once you reach, I can just knock your hands away and that's easy. Then I can get by you. So instead of kind of sitting back waiting on him to get there and then punching him when he gets there, um, they're lunging a little bit, which. You know, I don't it didn't I don't watch a ton of stuff last year, but it seemed like last year they were asked to um, run inside zone and then they do four slides and pass protection too, which is almost like a similar idea where everyone's gonna step right and we're gonna bring the back off the left edge and that's how we're gonna pass protect. So I think they're being asked to do different things and they're they're still working on those techniques and fundamentals. I know um, coach uh, is Darvo, is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard really good. I don't know him, uh, but I've heard really good things from a bunch of different people about him. Um, a lot of high school coaches have talked really glowingly about him and recruiting and other things like that, too. Uh, so I think you'll see an improvement from these guys technically, but it, it seems like they're kind of behind the eight ball based on last year, and, and that stuff takes time. That is like an ingrain. That's why you see these offensive linemen training, you know, all off season with these position-specific gurus like the Charles Bentley and guys like that because it's a really technique-based position, and that stuff takes time to achieve. Um, I think there's a, a basketball adage uh, that kind of applies here. Uh, you reach, I teach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, uh, these guys, uh, 
the tackles going to kind of leaning and reaching out of the defender and a good one, like it was the Georgia Tech's defensive end on one of the sacks early. The tackle kind of lunged at him with, and just kind of reached for him with his arms and he just swatted his hands away. And then once I swat your hands away, your shoulders are turned and now I got a free rush. So it, it, it's, I think it's a lot of little stuff like that that can get fixed. It's just unfortunately you're seeing it against two pretty good opponents to start the season. Yeah, breaking habits is uh, one of the hardest things to do. Uh, starting starting a bad habit is pretty easy, but breaking them is always the tough one. And no matter how much you drill it in spring and fall camp, the only way you'll know if you've truly broken the habit is if you're in uh, in-game action. And I mean, we saw it in uh, 2017 with. Uh, Quentin Flowers and Sterling Gilbert trying to change his throwing motion. In spring, we saw it was different. In fall camp, we saw it was different. And then when it became to game time, it was the exact same throwing motion that we had seen the last two years of Quentin Flowers. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I totally get it. Uh, it's going to take a little bit. And these guys are seniors, so they're probably not going to break the habit quick, quickly enough which is why you're seeing some changes. Um, I think Atterbury is probably better suited um, at right guard or left guard. Um, see him, like he's got the neck roll in and he like with like the neck roll, like with his pad, he just looks slower than he probably actually is. Um, so putting him back inside is probably our best bet there. And, I didn't think Donovan Jennings was that bad last year at left tackle when him and Eric Mays were like flipping back and forth. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I feel bad for Blake because, uh, he may not get to see the revamped offensive line, um, which is unfortunate, but, uh, I think that's probably a pretty good segue into, um, quarterback question. Uh, there's, there's a controversy. Um, is there a little bit? Well, I'm, I mean, probably not. I think we kind of know. Um, Jordan will riot, right? I mean, like, look, you're only two. It's not like you're playing for the national championship. Um, you know, go with, are you good enough to win a conference title this year with this team? I mean, does anybody think that this team is like conference title worthy right now? No. All right. Play the kid. Get better. Get him experience. Get him out on the field and give him every opportunity. And no quick hooks, no anything like that. Give him an opportunity to show his full skill set. Even if you know they fall behind or he makes some mistakes, leave him out there. Yeah, agree. Are we all on board here? Yes. Um, and I will bring up this. So uh, Charlie Strong mentioned uh, in his press conference this week about how he made the switch to uh, to Teddy Bridgewater um, in 2000. I think it was 2011. Um, he made the switch because the starter got hurt. Uh, Will Stein got hurt. But Teddy Bridgewater finished that game. I think he came in the second quarter and was like 10 of 18 through a couple scores. Um, and then he finished out the rest of that year. Now, what Charlie didn't do, which is what he needs to do now that we didn't see last year, was he stuck with Teddy Bridgewater. They win the game that he comes in, and then they lose the next three games. But Charlie stuck with Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater the rest of the season, regardless of how it, it, it turned it out. I think they were like two and four before they started to kind of figure it out. And then the next year they went 11 and two and went to the Sugar Bowl and or 12 and one and went to the Sugar Bowl or something, whatever, whatever the record was, they went to the Sugar Bowl. 
Um, and I think that's kind of the pattern we need to see here is just because Jordan has growing pains and he may have growing pains if he gets to start on Saturday uh, against South Carolina State, don't give him the quick hook because we saw what it did to Chris Oladokun and Brett Keen last year. It it shatters their confidence. And Stephen Bench and Mike White. And, and Quinn uh, Flowers. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, we, there, there's a history of it. Um, there's only been, what, one other time where a quarterback's been benched and the other guy took over and kind of stayed. And that was uh, when Pat Joel missed was awful and Matt Crowley took over. And we saw the rest that happened there. Um, I think that's the kind of pattern we need to see. We need to let this redshirt freshman take his lumps now. Um, get get him some real live action, and then go into the bye week, reevaluate, and then start fresh against SMU in two weeks. I think this is their best course of action. And um, Colin, uh, I, I will say uh, from what I've heard, it's going to be Jordan on Saturday. I uh, I'm getting the same vibes. Um, I I mean. <laughs> You know, sitting behind that bench man, you could see you you could see them get a little more juiced when he came in. That was that that turnover and Jordan when Jordan started warming up, you could see a little bit of juice. I, I, <laughs> the kids always know, man. I don't know what it is, but the kids always know. And especially, I think now in the player empowerment uh, transfer portal era of college football, um, the coaches have less sway than they ever have, and the players have more. And if players want something, they're going to get it. And it sure looked. And I, I, I'm just going straight on feel. A couple of people I've talked to, I have nothing solid nor factual to point to here. This is all circumstantial. But it sure looked like they wanted Jordan, that offense wanted Jordan McLeod out there. Yep, I agree. And I think I think that's what we're going to see here. Um, I mean, it's not breaking news, but it's news enough. It's the right move. Um, yeah. It's 100% the right move. Uh, Seth, you agree on that? I, yeah. I mean, if that's the move they're going to make, I think you probably make it this week. And this, with the FCS team coming in, um, I thought he did some really impressive things, just like um, that weren't, that are not like stat sheet type things. But um, like I said earlier, he, had, he sat in the pocket on the touchdown throw with a lot of crap at his feet. A lot of younger guys would pull the ball down, pull their eyes down. But, I, I mean, I don't know, obviously. But, you know, you get the sense that he's like, I know I got it. I got to sit in here and make this throw. And then another thing he did later uh, on the big play to Wilcox is they they run like a vertical switch concept where they're both going to run verticals. And said the outside receiver is going to come and run up the hash. The tight end is going to go run down the sideline. Um, and he – holds the, you can see him just staring down the, because uh, George Tech had one high safety, you can see him staring down the safety and holding him, holding him, holding him, and then holding him, and then using that inside vertical to hold him, and then when he hits his last step, bang, his eyes go out to the tight end, and he hits him on time and on target. So I, I was impressed with uh, the little bit of playing time he got. I, I didn't know a lot about him, because I'm kind of coming in more um, fresh to this season. Uh, he played pretty well in the spring game from when I went back and watched that. Um, 
And I, I do want to say that I don't think, and I think we've kind of, I think well, we're all probably on board with this, but I don't think Blake was the problem. I just don't know for with what's going on around here if he's going to be if he'd be the solution. Um, I thought in a different circumstance, he's definitely talented, and uh, you saw he's made some unbelievable throws this year, um, even under duress. But that that may be kind of how it ends up being. He's not. It's not necessarily that he's the issue, but I don't know if he's going to solve the problems of the team where McLeod being able to run a little bit more and and uh, that kind of stuff, being a little bit better in the pocket, um, that might be a better fit. So I'm going to agree here, um, obviously. I feel bad for Blake, honestly. Um, yeah. This, you know, it's a tough spot. And sometimes in football, it's about fit. And for a kid to be on his third school, his fifth offensive coordinator, and all of the other, you know, stuff that he's been through, um for that to happen and him still not be able to find a spot where he was, you know, I think last year he was definitely the guy um, in the veer and shoot. But I think in, in Bell's offense, if you want to play fast, score faster with this offensive line, you can't really do it with, with Blake. Um, That's unfortunate. And I feel bad for him, but um, you got a freshman who looks like he's got some promise. Like Nate said, that, that third and seven where he put the foot in the ground and cut it back. I mean, I I don't know about y'all, but he's not Quentin. Nobody's going to be Quentin, but that was a Quentin type of move. Um, you know, the difference is that I think when Quentin gets in the open field, he gets more than two yards. He probably gets like 20. But the fact that he's got a little bit of wiggle to him, seems like he's an accurate passer, has good awareness, you know, doesn't see those ghosts. Um, uh, this is such an easy decision. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's going to get hit. Like, you know, yeah. he's been he wearing a red shirt. He seemed pretty steady. Yeah, he, but he's been, but like you said, he's he's been wearing a red shirt at practice every day of his college career, probably so yeah. far. So, you know, until you get until you get live hit, yeah, let's play the kid. Let's see what happens. Um, and you know, we've talked about all this. Like, I think we've got a middle linebacker is the best I've seen since Kawika Mitchell. Am I crazy? Uh, who? Um, Augie. He's better than Augie. Okay. Augie will tell you that. Augie will tell you he's better than Augie. This kid, physically, when you see him in person, I hadn't really seen him up close before. That kid is a freak. He is huge. Yeah, Patrick Macon's a a big dude. Um, uh, He's he's pretty dang impressive. Um, So that play at the end there, I mean, bang, bang, play is down. I mean, it looked like he got concussed from it. I'm, I, you can't really fault him for that, right? No. I thought the I thought the runner lowered himself, and I thought that was going to be a point of a kind of a something they're really going to look for this year. A point of emphasis that if the runner lowers himself, we're looking at intent. Because I thought he was coming to strike him in his midsection. The runner dips his shoulder down and gets hit in the head. The announcers thought the same thing too. They didn't think that that was going to be targeting whatsoever. And then they were surprised when it turned out that that's what they were reviewing, at least from my perspective, because I was watching on TV. I think but if I, he gets up hey, clean, uh, they don't review it. He hey, kind of just dizzy. The other thing that I was going to say, um, Macon, so during the game, like just seeing him, because, I mean, watching him, he was really hurting, limping around a lot, and then going out there and just making plays anyway. But you could tell he was, like, clearly in pain. Like, he got dinged pretty good at least once or twice during that game. Um, and he was still out there making plays and making the final tackle. Yes, it ended up being targeting, but it was, you know, it wasn't for lack of effort. 
This kid's good, man. This this is going to be a guy. I, I don't know, man. This looks like an NFL player to me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, he's been waiting about two years to uh, take advantage of his opportunity at D1 level. And, oh, boy, has he not uh, missed a beat there. Um, he will have to sit out the first uh, half due to the targeting happening in the second half. Uh, Andrew Mims will get the start for him at middle linebacker. And uh, he Mims is a walk-on, and he has – He's done pretty damn well um, filling in. He got a lot of run late in the season last year, especially in the bowl game, um, where it, it, like they were just trying anything, and Mims like really improved, showed showed himself. Um, looking, at, he had uh, two tackles and one tackle for loss, and I believe the one tackle for loss he snuffed out a screen and dropped him for like a three yard loss. Um, which was pretty impressive. I think it was like right after Macon got hurt or when he got kicked out of the game because Macon did come out of the game for a little bit uh, when he did get dinged up earlier in the game. Uh, but to, to see Mims as a walk-on kind of prov- – there wasn't much drop-off there is a, is a good sign for Coach BJM's uh, defense. Again, and, and you know, I know we're all frustrated with the offense, and I get it, but you gotta give credit to that defense, man. I think they played very, very well. Now, Georgia Tech's not great, and I don't want to extrapolate too much from this, and that's not going to really help you against, you know, when you're playing the Knights or somebody else like Cincinnati with a potent offense. But um, I thought they played well, and you know, credit where it's due, they they certainly can't pin the loss too much on giving up two touchdowns. Yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that Georgia Tech had more explosive plays against Clemson than they did against USA. So they were able to kind of hold them in check. Yeah, it, it, it's very well likely. Um, what I liked, what like Kevin Kegler had probably the game of his life. Uh, he had two and a half tackles for loss. We've been waiting for that kind of game uh, for him. Uh, Kirk Livingstone made the uh, pro football focus college um, AAC team of the week uh, defensively. Um, but the, the one thing that USF will need to clean up is those those penalties, nine penalties, 95 yards, targeting the 15-yard penalty at the end of the game uh, from B, uh, Coach BJ, I believe. Uh, for the, was that who that was on? We couldn't I, figure it out. It I'm BJ. pretty sure it was on him. So they said assistant, So and then they panned to uh, BJ, so I think it was him. Um, but that's they've got to clean up the penalties. The mental mistakes will kill you, especially when you're not that good. Um, but we'll, we'll go from there. Um, real quick, Seth, I know we kind of talked a lot. Um, what you've kind of started the South Carolina state stuff. What have you seen from them? Um, is there anything that we need to be on the lookout for that you've seen so far? Um, just a few, um, just kind of things. So they beat, uh, Wofford in game one, 28, 13. Wofford was a top 10, uh, preseason team in the FCS, but Walford threw four picks and, um, they were a traditional triple option team. They weren't running triple option for some reason in that game. So, and then last week they played a division two team. That's uh, not a good division two team. They were three and six the year before. So I have, it's really hard to tell exactly where they're at. Um, talent wise, they do have, their quarterback's pretty good. He's a smaller guy. I think he's listed as six feet, but I, I'd be shocked if he was. Uh, good runner, pretty good thrower, not super efficient. I think he went 12-26 in the first uh, game. 
They got a big, tall receiver. I know Coach Strong mentioned him in his press conference. Uh, 6'5 guy. Then they have another guy that's 6'1, about 200 pounds. Another big, pretty good looking receiver. I think they're going to try to throw the ball a ton and they'd like to take shots downfield. Uh, their offensive coordinator calls, uh, says he's a run and shoot coach. They're not running run and shoot stuff, but you know, like think like, um, Colin, you're Hawaii. Woo! Rainbow Warriors, right? So, they're going to try to throw the ball vertically downfield to these big receivers and then uh, run some option stuff with the quarterback. Defensively, they're like a four-front, four-two, four-three. Um, they'll play some cover three, some man. They kind of mix it up. I think, hopefully, uh, we get some decent weather Saturday because I think there's um, shots downfield to be taken on them and problems and coverage to exploit. Wofford was just a terrible, terrible throwing team because they're – they're a triple option team, but they don't get the quarterbacks that are good enough to even go to Navy. So they get the really bad throwers. Um, but there was, there was stuff that was wide open all night. So I, I'd anticipate, um, that if we have a good night, the USS should be able to throw the ball on them quite easily. Um, and they're not huge up front, but they're pretty active. So that they should still be able to run the ball regardless. But so this should be. I, th- I don't think they're probably um, as good as their winning as Walford indicates, but it's hard to tell. So if they're a shoot team, um, I've gone obviously very deep into the shoot um, with, with my beloved Rainbow Warriors. They're not. Um, tradi- they're not traditional shoot though. They're the coach. Like his his Twitter uh, name is Run and Shoot OC or something like that. But they're they're a lot of eleven personnel. I think they are doing some of the route conversion stuff. Okay. But it doesn't, it doesn't appear to be a lot. I think they're doing some of the Baylor deep choice stuff. And, I'll, and I'm going to write about this in the article. So uh, I can't be sure because I only got one game. And the footage isn't exactly HD. But um, but they're not. I think they have some run and shoot stuff in there. But then it's really kind of a spread. It's your traditional spread, 11 personnel, similar to what USF does with the tight end off the line. Sometimes they'll put them on the line, that kind of stuff. So, like the deep choice stuff. So, it, the the if you're talking shoot, so just so for our fans at home, most the difference between the shoot and most offenses is is that the quarterback and the wide receiver sort of read the coverage as the play is going on. So mm-hmm. you're making that decision on which way the wide receiver is going to break in. You need the quarterback and the wide receiver to see the same thing and then yeah. make the same throw. The other thing you need in the shoot is you got to be able to protect because the routes all have stems and it takes a lot longer for things to develop. So. I guess the the question then is, you know, Hawaii really struggles with teams who, who can who can get pressure with four. Um, if you can get after the quarterback with four, that tends to help against teams that want to do stuff off stems. So yeah, they're they're not they're not um, and they're not the quarterbacks. Uh, I think he's, he's pretty good, but they're not. He's not super efficient. It's not like he's uh, uh, Cole running back there, and if you leave him a seam, he's going to hit it. It's. Uh, he misses, and they like to take a lot of shots downfield, so they're not taking a ton of high percentage throws. I think they're converting some stuff. I don't know if they're converting everything, like some of these teams will do. Um, they do have their their right tackle is like a six foot nine transfer from Appalachian State. He's oh, wow. getting some looks. Um, it's hard to tell again how good he is. He's got some long arms, obviously, but they're not huge up front. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think USF will have any problems with them up front. And uh, I think they can mix up coverage and seems like that to give them some trouble. So, all right, we're uh, two minute warning because I got a hard out in about a minute and a half. I think I think we'll see Jordan McLeod. Uh, I would 
I would definitely bet Colin's life on it. Definitely not mine though. Um, <laughs> just, just in case I've got a lot to live for, uh, still. Uh, yeah, you have a child. I don't. I, yeah. Yeah. Funny. So yeah, I mean, if any, if where any of us have to go, well, Carl should be the first <laughs> one to go, but if it's not Carl, then it should probably be me or Stieg. Yeah. Um, dang. Tough break for Stieg. Yeah. Uh, real quick. <laughs> so it came on the pod tonight. <laughs> Uh, men's soccer beat uh, number five Louisville two nothing and oh boy, uh, a USF defender put a dude in the spin cycle uh, that led to a goal. It was uh, impressive. I think Bob Buhorn may have something here. Uh, we called him out uh, pre uh, season opening uh, podcast. Maybe he's a listener. Uh, so hopefully that works. Uh, men's basketball they finally released their uh, non conference schedule. They've got some good games. Uh, open with Arkansas Pine Bluff. They never play a true road non-conference game. They've got Loyola Chicago, uh, Colorado, uh, Loyola Chicago, um, or either Colorado State or New Mexico State, and then another TBD in the Cayman Islands Classic in the, the Grand Caymans. Obviously, uh, Loyola, Loyola Chicago was, uh, I believe, the sister Jean team of the, the Final Four a couple years ago. They're really good. They won the CBI a couple of years back, and they ended up in the Final Four a couple of years later. That's kind of the progression that Michael Kelly and Brian Gregory want for this uh, basketball program. Uh, they've got Furman, Dartmouth, uh, Drexel, uh, Utah State uh, in the Battleground 2K19 tournament in Houston. Uh, they've got Florida State uh, in the Orange Bowl uh, Basketball Classic in Sunrise December 21st. And then they finish non-conference play with a home game uh, versus uh, FAU, a uh, lot of good teams. Wofford, uh, another one, November 21st, really good team. Uh, second round NCAA team. They almost beat to Kentucky. Kentucky. I think they lost by they they lost by six to Kentucky. I think the final score was 62-56. Another good team. Brian Gregory's really upped his up the ante for this program uh, for this year, and we'll really see if the strides that we made last year uh, bear out. Um, so let's see I'm going to make a, I'm going to point out one thing. If you are going, with, and I don't think a lot of people are, but if you're going with women's basketball to Vegas for their tournament, you can fly back and make the Orange Bowl Classic. So if you you could just fly back into Miami and then either you know take a, a bus or you know a short flight or whatever uh, from Miami back to Tampa. So if you wanted to do the yep. huge hardcore basketball over Christmas, it's doable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, uh, Marlon Mack is a fucking god. Um, oh, Jesus oh. Christ, man, he's good. Did you guys know Almost he was good? Like he was good. <laughs> I thought he was pretty good. Marlon Mack, after one week, leads the NFL in rushing after his 174 yard performance on 25 carries, including a 63 yard uh, housing uh, against the Chargers. Uh, the Colts ultimately fell, but they did mount a comeback uh, late. Um, let's see, MVS. Uh, against the Bears on Thursday night to open the season. He had three catches for uh, something amount of yards. He had a uh, 47-yard catch from uh, Aaron Rodgers. Bears defense is really effing good, so it's kind of hard to tell um, what NBS's role is going to be. They've got some talent in the skill positions in Green Bay, so we'll see. He had four receptions for 52 yards. Aaron Lynch uh, notched his 19th career sack against the Packers in that same game. Lynch and MVS dapped each other up. They never played again. They never played together at USF, um, and they are the only two people to play against USF and play for USF uh, in program history. So that's pretty neat. 
uh, Austin uh, Ryder uh, started for the Kansas City Chiefs and played every snap, and the Chiefs rolled because they have a video game offense. Um, but our, our baby, our one true love, our Swiss Army knife, Dearness Johnson, with the major glow up, makes the Browns roster. Uh, yeah, one carry for 13 yards, two catches for 23 yards, uh, and returned a kick for 23 yards. The dude, again, Swiss Army knife in the NFL, and Sterling Gilbert didn't know how to use them. Can we just say this like one more time? Like whenever, just listen to your college. The people that cover college football always know. They always know. And it's not just us. And we're not saying it because we're smart and everybody. If you watch a program day after day after day and you know something about football, you're going to be able to tell who are the guys that are the elite. You know, I had, you know, some friends at FIU going, you know, T.Y. Hilton's freshman year going, this kid's the real deal. He's going to be an unbelievable NFL player. You just know sometimes, you know, and like even at a program like that, they can, you can just tell, listen, you know, and I think, I think Macon's got the chance on this team to be that guy. I think Mitch Wilcox is an NFL player and I think Macon's definitely an NFL player. Absolutely. Um, well, I think that's it. We've touched everything. Um, again, strong, strong feelings. Jordan McLeod will get the start. Uh, if I'm wrong, you can at uh, Colin Sherwin. At Colin Sherwin. Or at 38 Godfrey. At, um, or at 38 so, Godfrey. If you guys get it, you get it. Um, <laughs> send all complaints that way. Uh, but that's <laughs> uh, but that's that for now. Um, hey, one more thing. Out. What's the, What What's was the up? spread? Didn't we give out the spread? Uh, I think it was like 20. 23 for some I'd for some reason 22 and a half 22 and a half all right uh I'm gonna give South Carolina State the cover but the Bulls a comfortable one yeah 24 and a half 24 and a half yeah it's been bad up to 24 and a half how about that um all right uh last thing uh USF and their home opener for volleyball won or beat you uh UNF three to one uh yesterday in their home opener so three and three but they won and their first blackout game. So big, uh, big year is needed for volleyball this year. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll see what happens when they get to conference play, but at least they have something to play for this year. There's a conference tournament this year. Top six teams make the tournament. So it's not like you're drawing dead on weekend two anymore, which is nice. Um, they'll have the three seed play the six seed and the four seed play the five seed. Uh, one and two will get buys. They're going to play it in, in Oviedo, um, in the garage. So, all right, actually, I don't, you know, what, I take that back. I don't know if it's in the garage. It might be on the main floor um, so that UCF doesn't have their home court. They have the court next door instead. I think that might be the case. I'm I'm not sure about that, but at least they've got something to play for this year. So, you know, I don't think this is a team that's, you know, with the, the three losses early, that's going to be competitive for like a, a conference championship, like a regular season title. But I think they can certainly be competitive to get into the tournament. And then once you get in the tournament, who the heck knows what happens. So, um it's nice to have volleyball mean something after weekend two and weekend three. So I think this is really good for the league, and I think it's a great decision. So go on out and support them. They got a lot of kids out there, and I know they're pretty excited about uh, their middles and their and uh, one of their outsides. So I haven't gotten a chance to watch a game yet. They go to Gainesville this Friday for the Gator Invitational. Uh, play number ten Florida at noon, and then Long Beach State at five, and then the next oh. Saturday they play James Madison at two. So that's a pretty interesting three game stretch. Their next home game is next. Tuesday the 17th at 6 p.m. versus Jacksonville. Um, oh, that's uh, Courtney's old employer. Uh, Bulls head coach, Courtney Draper, used to be the head coach at Jacksonville. Um, 
Yeah, that's uh, who Gators and LBSU. I don't know if LBSU is as good as they've been in the past couple of years, but uh, the Gators are. That's going to be a tough one. Oh boy. Whew. And then Thank next God. weekend, uh, the twentieth uh, through the twenty-first is the USF Invitational. They get uh, Indiana and Stetson. So uh, maybe one of us will go out to that game. See what uh, Courtney Draper's up to. Absolutely. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Appreciate it. Uh, go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go, go Bulls. Bulls.